Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome to episode number 130 of the Draft Analyst, presented by the Believe Sports Podcast Network. Do you believe? I'm your host, Chris Tripodi, and with me, as always, is Tony Pauline. And Tony, we've made it. The NFL Draft kicks off tonight, and after months of hard work on our end, which can be found not only in prior episodes of this podcast, but also in the hundreds of scouting reports and player bios over at profootballnetwork.com, We finally get to see which teams all these prospects will call their own for the next several years, at least. It's going to be interesting. I mean, from not only where the players land, but the the, uh, presentation of the draft. And, you know, I mean, we were supposed to be out. No, I was supposed to be out in Vegas. Granted, in the grand scheme of things, the fact that I'm here and I can't go to Vegas while people are struggling with their livelihood, it's minimal. But it's just strange. It's going to be weird. It'll be interesting. Uh, and of course, you know, uh, as we get into the third day of the draft, I think we'll see more and more surprises. Absolutely. And certainly people, as you said, you know, livelihoods being changed around and, and everyone's kind of stuck at home outside of the essential workers here, which only means that you're going to have more time to, you know, kind of consume content and things like that. I know Tony, we usually have like 700 or so scouting reports, something like that. Do you remember the exact number this year? 811. I just had to add, I had to add one more today, which Chris uh, is usually my eyes as far as proofreading is concerned. But since it was only one more, I didn't want to hassle Chris. Uh, (laughs) You know, this is what happens when there's no uh, pro day workouts. You're just like, okay, we'll do, uh, we'll do more and more uh, scouting reports. I I think the problem is, is I start off with so many scouting reports uh, and then you've got to get guys in at the bottom. But you know what? Not only will you have information on the player that your favorite team selects during the seven rounds, you know, there are more players that are selected that are signed after the draft as undrafted free agents than are actually chosen during the uh, seven rounds. So you'll be able to get scouting reports and, and information on those guys as well. Yeah, I remember uh, Juwan Winfrey was one guy last year when he was drafted, and I think it was the sixth round by the Broncos, and everyone's like, oh, I can't find a scouting report on him. Well, you know, Tony had one up, so the depth of scouting reports and, you know, the fact that you'll find all the priority free agents and, you know, anybody that your team signs as a UDFA, you'll probably be able to find a scouting report on them too and see what they might be able to bring to the back end of your favorite team's roster. Well, who was the guy from uh, Prairie View that the Raiders uh, shocked everybody in the seventh round? Uh, he was like he was a, he is a safety sized uh, pass rusher. Um, forget the guy's name, but we had a scouting report on him. Oh yeah, I, I'm forgetting his name too. But oh, Quentin Bell, that's who it was. There you go. Well, I I had my done my film work on Quentin Bell. We had a report up on. I think the only guy we, I missed badly on last year, and everyone else did for that matter, was the uh, Quentin Williams brother from Murray State, who the Jaguars took in the third round. And every, when he was selected, everyone said, who? Uh, and everyone was scrambling for information on him. I had no heads up on that one. Yeah, well, hey, you know what? It happens. 811 it out of 812 isn't all that bad. Um, but all right, so much of today's show for you guys is going to focus on risers and sliders around the league, kind of what we're hearing from teams or what Tony's hearing, rather. But before that, Tony, you wrote an article Wednesday about some players around the league who are overrated or underrated. 
you know, evaluators have some concerns with the inconsistency of Utah defensive tackle Lecky Fotu. Conversely, they like Michael Pittman Jr. and Ezra Cleveland more than some might expect, while USC offensive tackle Austin Jackson, one of your favorite prospects, Tony, it's kind of all over the place on team boards. What can you tell us about these players and any others you're hearing some things on around the NFL? And this is somebody that I speak to once or twice a year, usually about this time, that's very involved in the league. And we kind of compare notes, and I like to hear what this person says. And, and you know, like you said, Lecky Fotu was his most overrated player. And it wasn't that he's overrated. I think it was a point that Lecky Fotu was the most disappointing. Because Lecky Fotu has the physical skills and the body to be a dominant lineman but he only is a portion of the time. And it's a situation, I, I spoke with Lecky Fotu's people today about it, and they also represent Nick Harris, the uh, center from Washington. And I said, you know, if Lecky Fotu had the same intensity and played the same way that Nick Harris did, he would be a top 20 pick. And the person I spoke with yesterday agreed. He said, you know, if, if Lecky Fotu had reached this upper level of potential, uh, he would have been a first-round selection. And while he showed flashes of brilliance, and you could see the athleticism on film, the movement skills for a guy that's as big as he does, he just doesn't seem to have the motor always going, and he gets too locked up in blocks. I'm told he's still going to go, in, like, very likely to go in the third round, and he's getting looks from both 4-3 and 3-4 teams. But Lecky Photo is one of those guys who, uh, you know – his destiny's in his own hands because he's got a tremendous amount of upside and he, he just has to apply it. As far as underrated, Michael Pittman, I've been hearing a lot of people uh, like him. I was surprised when this person told me that they had him and this person is someone involved with the team. They had him as they, his team had him as a top 15 player on their board as one of the highest rated receivers and one of the highest rated players. Uh, they love Pittman's size, his pass catching skill, and he worked out much better than anybody expected him to at the combine. That was the thing. When they saw the speed, when they saw everything else, they're like, you know what? We just have to coach this guy to play to those speed, that speed, and learn to get separation. Underrated again, Ezra Cleveland. And we, you know, Ezra Cleveland has been a favorite on this podcast since before we interviewed him uh, before the, prior to the draft. Uh, and I mean, and the thing with Ezra Cleveland is, I've said there are three pure left tackles in this year's draft. Andrew Thomas, Ezra Cleveland, and Austin Jackson. And left tackle is always has always been a high priority in the draft. Granted, right tackle has taken on more prominence in recent years. But he told me about Ezra Cleveland. He is just a, he's phenomenal in pass protection. He's got great athleticism, great mobility. What he doesn't have is sheer power, but that will likely come in time as Cleveland physically matures and enters a weight training program. He just thought that Cleveland was such a sensational pass rusher, a uh, pass protector. That's why he's, uh, he, he, he considered him underrated and the enigma is Austin Jackson. Uh, you know, uh, one point in time, there are people saying he's a mid first round choice. I think in my updated rankings, I have him as the 22nd rated uh, draft prospect. There are some teams who think he's an early second round choice. And the thing with that, with Austin Jackson is the tape isn't consistent, but when the tape, when he's on his game, he like Ezra Cleveland is an outstanding pass protector. And he came at the combine at 322 pounds. Now, whether that's his actual playing weight, whether he can carry that weight and keep that athleticism, we don't know, but like Cleveland, he is a terrific left tackle prospect, which is why a lot of people uh, like him. I think he's going to end up at the bottom half of round one, 
tonight. And I think he's a guy that's going to be a very good starting tackle in the NFL. Yeah. And I mean, when we're talking about consistency with players and things like that, I mean, if Fotu has the talent to be a top 20 pick, even you know, the biggest questions about his motor or things about inconsistency, it's not going to drop him to the fifth round or anything like that. Even if sometimes that may have been what he played like, because NFL coaching staffs are always going to think that they can get the best out of these players. So Lucky Fotu having some issues in college, but having that sort of upside, he's not going to fall past the second day. And the same thing with Austin Jackson. Obviously, the position is a little bit different. Austin Jackson's is in higher demand, which is probably why he's going to go higher in the draft, even if you know his flashes are of a mid-first rounder, but he might have the consistency of a third rounder. He's going to split the difference in there somewhere because NFL teams are always going to be bullish on their own ability to develop players, even if they haven't proven it in the past. Or in the case of Fodu, to light a fire under the guy and get him to play to his ability on an every-down basis. Fodu is going to—it's going to be an interesting situation with Fodu because of the setup of the war rooms, because of the fact that you know I'm sure there'll be some defensive line coach or defensive coordinator pining for a general manager to select Fodu, but they're not going to be in the same room. So while a lot of people saying Fodu can be, you know, they expect him to be in the third, uh, selected in the third round be interesting to see if he actually is selected in the third round. Now, Tony, in that article, you also mentioned that the Green Bay Packers have heavy interest in Texas Tech linebacker Jordan Brooks, as well as talking about some of the movement on cornerback boards, which are really quite fluid once you get past Jeffrey Okuda and C.J. Henderson at the top. There's also some concern about how the effect of the novel coronavirus is going to affect the, the money and the livelihood, as we kind of mentioned before, of some guys who are bound to be late round picks and you know, UDFAs after the draft. Yeah, well, what, the situation with Brooks is, I, I'll go on record saying I'm not a big fan of Brooks. I, I think he's more third or fourth round material that's going to be overdrafted. He's explosive. Uh, he's a hard hitter, but he's sort of an undersized, uh, scheme limited, two down run defender. He's very good making plays up the field. He struggles making plays uh, in reverse. There, there's been some talk or conversation about Brooks ending up in round one. I, I see no way he ends up in round one. He could come off the board early in round two, but I think if he's there late in the second frame when the Packers are called to the clock, I think they take him instantaneously. As far as the uh, the cornerbacks are concerned, as I wrote, Jeff Gladney is falling down draft boards. There are some character concerns with Jeff Gladney. Trevon Diggs is also falling down, I think, because he never lived up to expectations. I still think he's going to be an outstanding cornerback at the next level, where guys like A.J. Terrell, Christian Fulton, and especially Jalen Johnson are moving up boards. And, you know, Okuda and Henderson are, have separated themselves from the rest of the field. After that, it's anybody's guess as to who will come off the board next and where they'll go. I feel pretty confident saying A.J. Terrell is going to come off probably the middle uh, portion of round uh, one, when I say middle, 18, 19, 20 in there. Then it's a battle between Christian Fulton or uh, Jalen Johnson. Other guy who's also moving up draft boards and is going to go a lot earlier than people think is Noah Igben, Igben Noheen of Auburn. Uh, people like his game. They like his size. Um, and as far as what you had said, I mean, there is concern. And I talked to primarily agents who are worried about this because what happens is, is people don't know, you know, agents usually pay for a player's training. They'll give them a per diem to take care of expenses of food and housing expenses. 
And then, you know, once those guys, either they're drafted in the late rounds or they're signed as priority, as undrafted free agents, uh, along with the signing of the contract comes a bonus, a signing bonus. And there's also per diems and payments for uh, mini camps and things like that. You know, that may not happen for a while. Those guys may not sign those contracts. They may agree to contracts, but they, they might actually sign the contracts. That's going on with free agency. A lot of these free agency deals, especially the one-year deals, these guys have not signed their contracts yet. They've agreed to the contracts, but they've not undergone uh, the physical exams and been passed by teams. Uh, and the situation for the late-round guys, the guys who fall out of the top 100 and become undrafted free agents, is they're going to agree to, to uh, sign with a team, but until they sign with the team and pass their physicals, they're not getting their signing bonus. And they something needs to basically hold them over monetarily uh, until they're able to sign those contracts and get that signing bonus. And I spoke with a bunch of agents who said, you know, we may have to front money for these guys until it gets to the point in time where they sign the contracts and, and are basically officially with the team. Now we'll be back shortly with some news on players that are rising and falling on boards around the league after a word from our sponsor. The NFL draft is finally here. And it feels like heaven for sports fans who are stuck at home with no live games to watch. While you're waiting this out with us at home, you can still have some fun betting at betonline.ag. Even without the NBA, the NHL, no Major League Baseball, BetOnline still has hundreds of places to wager, including their online casino with poker and blackjack. And sports aren't totally done. There's still eSports, American Idol, Big Brother, the elections, the spelling bee, and also Bet Online's new $750,000 poker series. Yes, Chris, they're still fun to be had at betonline.ag. And if you use a promo code MYPOD100, you'll receive your welcome bonus on the first deposit. Again, that's betonline.ag and use the promo code MYPOD100. BetOnline, your online wagering experts. Now, as promised, we'll get you the inside scoop here on some last-minute risers and sliders around the NFL. We'll start under center, as we always do. Tony, what are you hearing about the quarterbacks? Yeah, now, just for the record, these are what teams are saying. These are not Chris and, my, uh, Chris and myself's risers and sliders. This is the word from inside the league. Uh, for the first time, I'm seeing, when I speak with teams or look at boards and exchange information, I'm seeing Justin Herbert rated ahead of Tua Tagovailoa. It's the first time I've ever seen it, and this is post-draft meeting. So I guess that a lot of teams are obviously very concerned about uh, Tua's medicals, have not seen this at all. Uh, two quarterbacks that are really rising up uh, draft boards rather quickly, Nate Stanley of Iowa and Jake Luton of Oregon State, two guys who I believe – did exceptionally well on the Wonderlick test, so it shouldn't come as a surprise. Uh, Luton's a guy who was lowly graded uh, coming into the season, had a terrific year. A lot of teams like Luton's upside. Stanley, we've talked about Stanley uh, a couple times on this podcast. Myself, I'm not a big fan of his because he may be a smart guy, he may be a big guy, but he just doesn't seem to uh, hit make the passes when he needs to. But again, teams are looking at Stanley as a potential fourth-round pick. A name that has come out of nowhere recently, someone who could get drafted, Reed Sinet of San Diego. Not San Diego State, 
it's University of San Diego, uh, who has produced some tight ends and a, a few other players. Uh, the, the other quarterback that played with the Jets for a while, James Johnson, was that was that the uh, quarterback that came out of uh, San Diego a couple of years ago? Josh Johnson, I think. Josh Johnson, thank you. Sinet is a guy who he's got classic pocket passer size at six foot four, two hundred thirty pounds. He's got a decent arm. Uh, he's more of your throwback type of quarterback. He could get drafted in the late rounds, and he's more of a practice squad type player. But again, no one is talking about Reed Sinet except teams, except NFL teams, as well as the uh, people in the in the scouting community. Now we'll move to the running back position, kind of the quarterbacks compadre there in the backfield. Tony, who's moving up and and who's moving down among the backs? Clyde Edwards-Hilaire is moving up uh, for the first time. I'm starting to see Clyde Edwards-Hilaire rated ahead of J.K. Dobbins. Uh, I don't have that on my board, but team, a lot of teams have Clyde Edwards-Hilaire as a early second-round pick, and they feel they have him higher rated than J.K. Dobbins of Ohio State. Antonio Gibson has, been, has, has moved. He's back and forth. We talked about him on the receiver boards in the past. He's also on a lot of teams running back boards, and they feel he could go early third round. That's because of his build. He's uh, was six foot, a half inch uh, tall, 222 pounds, and then he ran the 439. So they think just his physical stature leads to, uh, leads to a change to, uh, to the running back position. A lot of teams like Zach Moss, despite all the injury issues. I have him as a fifth, sixth round pick. Teams look at his size, his body of work, and they're willing to put aside the issues, the injury issues, which have really cost Zach Moss a lot of time the past uh, season and a half, and they have him graded as a uh, mid-third round choice. Now, obviously, you mentioned Clyde Edwards-Hilaire and J.K. Dobbins kind of comparing the two. They are, they are pretty close on at least my board. Um, but when we look at the receiver position, obviously, Edwards-Hilaire's teammate, Justin Jefferson, is, is highly graded by teams. Even if you're not hearing anything about any late news on Jefferson, what are you hearing about the rest of the wideouts? Obviously, I just m- mentioned Michael Pittman. Michael Pittman is graded any, anywhere from a, mid fir- a late first-round choice to an early second-round pick. So I, I think Pittman could go earlier than guys like uh, T. Higgins, LaVishka Chenault, and some others. Uh, Tyler Johnson and Colin Johnson continue to slide. I have both of them as fourth-round picks. There are some teams that grade both Tyler Johnson of Minnesota and Colin Johnson of Texas as late sixth-round choices. So it's going to be interesting to see where they come off the board on Saturday. Neither of them ran before the, uh, at the combine. Uh, there were concerns about speed on both of those players. So I think it's really starting to rear its head. And, you know, we taught people were up at one point in time, thought that Tyler Johnson of Minnesota was a top 45 pick. And he just seems to continue to fall down draft boards. It's interesting to hear that that Colin Johnson is kind of graded as a late sixth round pick because even if you're watching him play, you're not looking at this guy and thinking, wow, he is he is an exceptional athlete or even a good or an above average athlete. Obviously, the you know spectacular catches he makes and the ball skills he shows are are really good. But are teams really that worried about his athleticism to think that, you know, he's only going to play a very specialized role at the NFL level? I think uh, they're concerned about that. And we talked about this in the past. You know, those large Big 12 receivers, Alan Lazard, who never panned out, Hakeem Butler of Iowa State, everyone thought he was going to be a top 45 pick. He's a fourth-round choice, and he may get cut before camp starts by the Arizona Cardinals, despite he spent the season on uh, injured reserve. So I I think there's that concern. There's also the concern 
that Colin Johnson really did not live up to expectations last season. Colin Johnson entered the season with a high grade from scouts. When I say high grade, top 45 grade. And he was outplayed by Devin DuVernay. And it wasn't that teams were doubling or doubling or focusing on Colin Johnson. It's just that he got outplayed uh, badly. So I, I think it's a combination of the two. All right. And we'll move to the other pass catchers on offense here, the tight end position. We've talked a lot. It's not a position where there's too much first round hype going on, but Tony, is there anyone rising to maybe kind of push for that kind of spot? Well, the interesting thing here is it's going to be a battle of uh, fighting Irish to see who is the first tight end selected. Uh, we, I mentioned last time when we did our breakdown of the offensive players that there are a lot of teams that have Chase Claypool graded as their number one tight end on the board. Seems that they let, Cole Komet has slightly gone ahead of him, although they're very close. Uh, I mean, if you, I, the way it's been explained to me and the way I see it, there's no more than a potential five to ten uh, pick separation between the two. There are still some teams that have Chase Claypool as a receiver, but there are a lot that have tight end. I would expect Cole Komet to come off the board before Chase Claypool, who will come off, like I said, within five to ten picks after that. Now moving to the offensive line here, obviously we know that it's a very tackle-heavy class up top. There's several guys who are going to go in the top ten. Tony, are you hearing anything about you know guys on maybe day two or, or day three that might be moving up or down boards? Well, let's start with the guys on day one. And it's looking more and more like most teams have Andrew Thomas as their number one rated tackle, which makes me very happy because I, I, you know, I've, uh, when I did my first mock draft, I had Andrew Thomas going second uh, to the uh, Washington Redskins. Uh, I had them uh, to replace Trent Williams. I had Chase Young going number one to Cincinnati, and I had, I had Thomas right after him. So I don't know that Andrew Thomas is going to be the first tackle selected, especially if a team is looking more for a right tackle. But more and more, it seems like Andrew Thomas is the number one tackle on boards around the league. Interesting in that Tristan Wirfs is listed as an, uh, on a number of teams on their offensive guard board. Now, there's been talk about Tristan Wirfs moving to offensive guard, but I, I would, would have thought that he's such an exceptional tackle. And after that combine workout, you know, they would leave him on the tackle board and then move him to guard. It seems like they are – there are some teams 50-50 split that have them on the tackle board. Others have them on the guard board. One offensive tackle that's making a big move up boards is Matt Pert of UConn. Matt Pert, who we saw at the Senior Bowl, we knew he was very athletic. A lot of people out there feel that Matt Pert is a solid second-round choice. I had him as a third-rounder. He's obviously improved at, at least a whole round. Uh, a lot of teams continue to keep Justin Heron of Wake Forest on their tackle board. He's a little bit undersized. I like him as a mobile sort of zone-blocking guard, but there are a number of teams out there who like his footwork, like his ability in pass protection, are not turned off by sort of the lack of size and have Justin Heron as a left tackle. Granted, they have him much later uh, in the draft as a uh, late six-round choice. Now, obviously, there are several tweeners in this draft class, guys, as you know, Tony was saying, might be tackles, might be rated as guards. We'll move inside to the interior guys, the guards and the centers. There might be one guy that could go in the first round, a guy we've talked about a lot, and that's Cesar Ruiz. Tony, you're hearing anything else about how the interior offensive line boards are starting to shape up? Yeah, it's funny. You know, you, you set that up perfectly because one of the fastest rising offensive guards was actually a right tackle for Louisiana, and that's Robert Hunt. Robert Hunt is flying up draft boards. You know, we talked about how 
when you looked at this class, you may not have a guard selected, a pure guard selected until the, the third round, and that would be John Simpson. Seems that Robert Hunt has passed Simpson on a lot of teams' boards, and there are a lot, of, a lot of scouts and people I've spoken with feel that Hunt could be a late second-round pick, but the college tackle is going to play guard at the next level. The other uh, offensive uh, interior offensive lineman who's moving up draft boards is Jonah Jackson of Ohio State, the guy who transferred from Rutgers last year, was not graded by scouts coming into the year, had a terrific season for Ohio State. He right now is graded by a number of teams as a mid to late third-round choice. And there are teams who also feel that, that he can uh, end up playing center at the next level, primarily a guard, but someone they're going to try at center. As far as people who are falling, I wrote about this a week ago on Pro Football Network, Wisconsin center Tyler Beadish. If you read my article, I'm told that there are several medical concerns or medical red flags with his hip and his knee. Here's a guy that a lot of people thought would go top 42. I still have him graded as a third-round pick, but there are a lot of teams out there that feel that Beadish is more late fourth round, potential fifth round, primarily because of the medicals. Now I'll switch sides of the ball here and we'll move over to the defensive linemen. We're going to separate edge as well, but Tony, amongst the defensive linemen, who are you hearing is up and who are you hearing is down on NFL draft boards? I think the fastest riser on the defensive line would be Ross Blacklock of TCU. He's getting a lot of late first round mention, a guy who kind of struggled with his decision as to whether or not he was going to enter the draft. At the time when he was gathering information from NFL teams, was getting everywhere from second to fourth round grades. But there, there's a feeling that in one of those late first round picks, maybe Green Bay, maybe Tennessee, they could take Blacklock. They love his athleticism. They love his mobility. They love his upside. He's got to get a little bit stronger, but he brings a lot, uh, a lot with him. We talked about Lecky Fotu at, le at length. Justin uh, Matabuki of Texas A&M is all over draft boards. There are some significant character red flags when it comes to Matabuki. I've seen him as early as the top half of round two, but there are some teams that are, have been uh, scared off by the character issues and have given him a, a I don't want to say a, a, a round penalty, but don't have him or have him on the boards as a late third round selection. Uh, two guys that are flying up boards. One is the brother of a friend of our podcast, Khalil Davis of Nebraska. Khalil Davis is on the cusp right now, a number of teams of being a late day two pick, early day three pick. The other defensive lineman that is really moving up boards is Tyler Clark of Georgia. I have him graded as a very uh, late uh, round pick. He's more of a two gap defensive end, but there are some teams that grade Clark or have given Clark late fourth, early fifth round grade. So he is swiftly moving up draft boards. Now we'll move on to the edge position here. And as we were talking about the offensive lineman, Tony did mention Wisconsin's Tyler Beadish. He also reported a little bit earlier this week, some news on Zach Bond. I'm not sure that we want to repeat that necessarily here as far as the, um, the failed diluted drug test for extra water in the system. There are a lot of other players that had that as well. What are you hearing about maybe Bond or some of the other edges around the league, Tony? Bond has moved from a lot of edge rushing boards to, to a pure linebacker board, which uh, I agree with. I don't think Bond is going to be a real good edge rusher 
at the next level. He was an okay edge rusher at Wisconsin. In fact, I thought he was out of place in their 3-4 alignment standing up over tackle. And I think the issue with Bond is, you know, his playing weight. A lot of that uh, failed diluted test or the positive diluted test, whatever you want to call it, was because guys like Bond were chugging a lot of water before they got onto the scale because they wanted to weigh in heavier. And then the tests were taken immediately after they got off the scale. So I think the situation with Bourne is, I think it was, what, 238 pounds at the combine? His playing weight is probably closer to 230. So I don't know how he's going to be an edge rusher. Uh, and I, I guess the interesting aspect of this, as you brought it up, is is Bourne is not listed on a lot of edge rushing boards anymore, more just a pure linebacker board. As far as the edge rushing boards, Teams seem to really like James Smith-Williams of North Carolina State. Right now, he's moved into the fourth-round area. We spoke about him when we did our defensive breakdown. He seems to be inching up. He's a guy who I believe only played like uh, four games last year because of injury. He's an incredible athlete. He ran well at the combine. I'm told he's run a 4-5-5 previous uh, to, to his combine run. So if he's selected early, He's someone you're basically drafting him on potential. You're drafting him on upside. You're drafting on, on what he could be as an edge rusher, either standing over tackle or coming out of a three-point stance. Uh, Typicalea, who received solid grades coming into the season, who shows terrific explosion uh, as both a pass rusher and, and decent athleticism. A lot of scouts just think he's not a complete player, and he has dropped uh, – out of the seven rounds on a number of boards, and he's presently graded as a uh, uh, as a priority free agent. Now, Tony, we'll move from Zach Bond's old position to his new position at linebacker, at least on a lot of NFL boards. What are you hearing around the league as far as which linebackers are rising and which might be seeing their stock slide? The interesting thing about Zach Bond is most teams have him graded as a early second round choice. Uh, you, I've seen him mocked all, all constantly in round one. I never agreed with it. I myself have him as a second round pick. I think he needs a lot of work on his game. A lot of teams are coming around to having him graded as a second rounder. He's in the top half of round two with Jordan Brooks, as well as our buddy, Josh Uche. We talked about this last time, Josh Uche, who we interviewed over the summer on this podcast could be selected within the first 12 selections of round two. Marcus Bailey of Purdue, someone who I have as a free agent primarily because of the injury that he suffered, which forced him to the sidelines for all of the 2019 season. He's getting as high as fifth round grades from scouts who I guess are very, are not concerned with the injury. The, the, the sad news is, and, and I, I, I'll never understand it, Sean Bradley, another guy who we had on this podcast over the summer, a guy who is an exceptional athlete, a guy who just consistently makes plays, is not graded as draftable on a number of boards. They draft that he's, he's listed as a priority free agent. And when you look at the way the league is going with the smaller, speedier, explosive linebackers who easily get from point A to point B, I mean, Sean Bradley fits that mold and he's been a good playmaker for the past two years at Temple. So, uh, you know, if Sean Bradley falls out of the draft, like some are predicting, so, or some teams have him graded, it's going to be a hell of a priority free agent signing. It's kind of interesting when you have a player like Bradley fall out of the draft, and then you have a player like Marcus Bailey, who in this time where teams can't really do physicals at the same level that 
they might be expected to, especially for late round type of prospects. The fact that he's moving up boards is, is just very interesting based on what we know about the pre-draft process as it currently stands. Or even a, a guy like Justin Strenad, who uh, missed a lot of last year with a, uh, with a strain pack, didn't run as fast as many expected at the, uh, at, at the combine. I mean, he has a fourth round grade. I like Justin Strenad, but I, I just don't see Justin Strenad being three rounds better uh, than Sean Bradley. I'll take this to the back level of the defense here and look at the secondary. Tony, we talked a lot about kind of the corner board and how it was materializing beyond the top two. Are you hearing any other news on some risers and sliders there? Keep an eye on Reggie Robinson of Tulsa, cornerback who played at the Senior Bowl, cornerback who was not even mentioned by scouts coming into the year. I had somebody tell me yesterday that they think in time Reggie Robinson is going to be one of the best cornerbacks from this year's draft. I don't necessarily agree with it, but I can tell you this. I mean, Reggie Robinson just a month ago was getting six-round grades. There are some teams that presently grade him as a third-round selection. He's got terrific size at six foot one, 200 pounds. He ran the four fours at the uh, combine. He's incredibly explosive. The, the thing with Robinson is he needs more experience. He just needs more development, and he needs proper coaching. Was not a full-time starter at Tulsa. But again, I mean, here's a guy who wasn't created by scouts coming into the year, goes to the senior bowl, goes to the combine, and it seems a straight arrow uh, north for uh, Robinson. Yeah, and Robinson, as you mentioned, went to the senior bowl. By all accounts, had a pretty good week there. And speaking of the event in Mobile, taking a look at some of the safeties, obviously a couple of the top guys were at the senior bowl, and Kyle Duger and Jeremy Chin, small school guys who really made a name for themselves down in Mobile. Tony, what are you hearing about the rest of the safety boards? There's only one safety that has a chance to be selected in round one, and that would be Xavier McKinney. I'd be shocked if he's selected in round one, but that's the only guy who's getting first round mentioned from the position. Understandable, because it's not a strong position. Uh, I still see, I still hear that Jeremy Chin is rated higher on boards than Kyle Duger. Chin is expected to go mid-second round. Duger, more later second round. Terrell Burgess of Utah has made a big jump of draft boards. Again, Terrell Burgess is a guy who was lowly rated by scouts coming into the year. He could go as high as, the, uh, as uh, early round uh, three. He's rated higher than uh, Ashton Davis, who a lot of people love. Kenny Robinson, I have him as a fifth rounder but seems to be holding uh, steady in the third round. Kenny Robinson, again, is a guy who was, dis- was dismissed from the West Virginia program because of academic improprieties. They didn't even say he, uh, he failed out of school. It was just academic improprieties. Didn't play for uh, West-, West Virginia last season. Played three or four games in the XFL uh, last month. And right now he's graded by some teams as a, a third rounder. Brandon Jones, guy who's been one of my favorites, he's also graded as a third rounder. Interesting to note that uh, Geno Stone uh, is listed as a potential fifth round choice, but he's also lifted, listed as a sort of a small hybrid uh, type of linebacker. Uh, they have him listed as a safety potential linebacker. So if, if you're looking for, or if a team wants one of those uh, smaller, line, sp- smaller, speedier linebackers, that's how. Uh, Stone is being projected right now. Went to the combine, 5'10 and a half, 207 pounds, ran a 4'62. 
I have him as a priority free agent. If you watch him on film, you know, he's not really big. He's not really fast. He's an explosive downhill sort of safety. But I guess, you know, like uh, Quentin Williams' brother being selected in the third round last year, uh, that's the way he's viewed as a guy who can be a smaller linebacker. They mentioned a lot of day two safeties there, and you mentioned that only one has a shot at day one, and, and his name wasn't Grant Delpit. I mean, what a what a fall from the player that came on and was an All-American as a freshman to now not even being considered as a potential first-round pick. Especially when you watch the film, because, you know, Grant Delpit's story this year has kind of run parallel to what we saw with Greedy Williams a year ago. Many people thought, you know, during the 2018 season, Greedy Williams was going to be a mid-first-round pick. And then there was concerns about his speed, concerns, concerns about his tackling. Ends up as a second-round pick as a starter for the Cleveland Browns. Same exact thing with Grant Delpit. Granted, Grant Delpit's 2018 film is better than his 2019 film. But again, there's concerns about his tackling, not a secure tackler. People question his speed. Never ran at the combine, which I think was a mistake, did run, I believe it was a 4-4-5 laser time uh, spe- uh, video film, which was sent out to scouts. Grant Delpit is graded right now by, a num- by most teams as a second safety off the board, but it's not going to be probably until top half of round two, right before that 45th selection. And that's it for the 130th episode of The Draft Analyst, presented by the Believe Sports Podcast Network. Do you believe? If you're enjoying the show, please subscribe on any of the major podcast platforms and leave us a rating and a review. And feel free to ask us questions on Twitter that we'd be happy to answer on the show. The 2020 NFL Draft is finally upon us, and we'll be back to recap all the action for you over the next few days. On behalf of Tony Pauline, I'm Chris Tripodi. Everyone stay safe, and we'll talk to you very soon. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.